and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to be back on the mic with you guys for another episode here on the number one predator hunting podcast out there. And that's because of you guys, man. I can't thank you guys enough for listening. Uh, the support for this podcast has been amazing. Um, I love your feedback. You know, you guys can get a hold of me on my through my website. You can find my email address there, which is coyotecraze.com. You can get a hold of me there. Um, you can find me on my Instagram page. But I, I love your message. I love the feedbacks, what you guys are liking about the podcast, maybe some topics you're wanting me to cover and talk about down the line. You know, my plan is to be here a long time doing these podcasts for you guys. So I'm always looking for topics and things to talk about. Um, but, uh, you know, all your feedback's great. You know, the, the positive five-star reviews that everyone gives on Spotify or iTunes go a long way. Hey, if you're an Instagram person, if you're listening to these podcasts, Hey, share a story with that podcast and tag me in it, man. I'll, I'll reshare your story on my page. Give you guys some props for that. Um, you know, all that stuff goes a long way and something that I really do appreciate when it comes to supporting myself and, and what we're trying to do here um, on this podcast. But, uh, you know, this episode's going to be a good one. Got a guy by the name of Cable Smith. Some of you probably are familiar with Cable. Um, he's been around the radio and podcast game for a long time. Um, he has the Lone Star, Lone Star Outdoor Show. Um, but, uh, anyway, Cable's not a hardcore predator hunter, but he's had the opportunity to, to hunt predators and, and, and see a lot of cool stuff around, you know, in multiple continents. So I figured it'd be cool to get him on just to get his take on the whole podcast game. You know, he's been around a long time and then, and then hear some of his stories, whether it's him running a trap line up in Canada, uh, you know, catching wolverines and wolves, and lynx, shooting coyotes down in Mexico or, or his experiences over in Africa, on the, the handful of hunts he's been, I, I think it's going to be good. So it uh, should be a good one there. But before we get going, I need to take a second to thank this episode's sponsors, which are Lucky Duck Predator Calls and Cryptech. Now, I talk a lot about Lucky Duck. You hear me talk about the calls that I'm using. But I get a lot of questions about the seat that I'm using. And it's kind of an underrated product that Lucky Duck puts out. And it's their Lucky Duck Predator seat. Now, it's something I use all the time. Um, I actually had... You know, was fortunate enough to help them design this seat, um, you know, for use by me. And I figure, you know, if it works for me, it should work for every other predator hunter. You know, when I'm going in and out of stands, I want to be hands free. Um, especially if you're killing coyotes, you want your hands free to cross fences and drag coyotes. So the great thing about that Lucky Duck Predator seat is it has a pocket where I can put my call. I can put extra batteries. I can put gloves, whatever I want to do in there. I can carry my coyote drags. Um, and then that slings over my shoulder. I can cross shoulder sling it. So it kind of rests kind of off my back hip and, and then I'm hands-free. And then once I get to my stand, I can pop my call out real quick, set my seat down on the ground. Um, it's pretty simple. You know, there's a, there's a little padding. You got back support. It's going to keep your butt out of the cactus. It's going to keep your butt off the snow. It's going to keep your butt dry, man. This time of year, if you're like me, you're hunting in a lot of snow and, and uh, you know, having a wet butt at the end of the day is just not much fun. So um, if you're interested in looking for a, a simple seat, something that you're not going to have to pack under an arm and it's just going to take up a lot of, a lot of space. Um, you know, check out the lucky duck predator seat. You can find that at their website, uh, which is luckyduck.com. And then cryptic camo. I, I get a lot of questions of this, you know, we've been hunting out of snow now here in Nebraska since probably middle of December. Uh, and, and that's not normal for us. Usually we get some snow and it's usually gone the next week, but man, we, we got a big snow before Christmas. And we've just got enough snow ever since to keep the snow cover on the ground. So I've been wearing, uh, you know, my my Wraith Overwhite Cryptek snow covers pretty much the entire hunting season, it seems like. Um, 
and they're they're awesome. I, you know, I probably never had a, a set of snow camo that I've liked more. And the main reason for that is th these particular set of overwhites are, are extremely thin. You know, they, yes, there are situations when you're hunting in snow that it is extremely cold. So having a big, heavy-duty white snow cover is good. But there's a lot of times, too, I'm hunting in snow when it may be 30, 35 degrees sunny. And I don't want something that's extra heavy that's going to give, you know, all that extra warmth because you are hiking in. And it's just that much tougher hiking in and out of snow and stuff like that. And that's what I love about these covers. It, it's, it's a, I don't even know what the material is, but it's, it's, it's really thin. It's durable. Um, I haven't even ripped it once on fence yet, which is pretty remarkable for me. Usually I'll have them tore it pretty good by this point in the game, but it comes with a light jacket. It comes with pants. The pants have a full zipper all the way up so I can take it on and off easy. And it also comes with a set of gaiters, which is important. Obviously when you're walking in snow all day, you don't want the snow coming up your pant leg and getting into your boot and stuff like that. But, and the pattern itself, you know, I think a lot of snow camera patterns out there have too much dark in them. Um, at least where I hunt a lot of times, you know, when it's snow cover, it's 95% white out there. So that's what I love about these Wraith over whites is they are like 99% white. There's a little gray in there, but man, you know, I seem to blend in pretty good um, and love them. So yeah, if you're looking for a new set of uh, snow over whites for this winter or next, yeah, get on uh, the website, which is cryptech.com. And you can search by category with camel pattern. Just go to Wraith, which is W-R-A-I-T-H. And then you'll see their set of overwhites there. And you can pick them up there. But uh, like I said, cryptech.com. And you can find all the information you need from their website. Well, Mr. Cable Smith, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate so, it. So I'm, I'm curious to get into this conversation, man. I, you know, we... I actually just met you over the phone here, you know, what, mm -hmm. 10 minutes ago, <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, Eastman's kind of connected us to kind of get together to, to talk about some cool stuff. Um, you've been in this podcast game forever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm new to it. This is only like the second season. I'm like 30 episodes deep. Um, tell me a little bit about your, your Lone Star Outdoor Show podcast. Yeah, I've been doing it uh, 14 years. So it started out as a radio show. It's still, it still is a radio show, uh, but I guess when I started out, you know, I got a degree in radio, TV, film, and I wanted to do sports talk radio, but I also wanted to stay in North Texas. And it was just like, everybody wanted to do that. So I kind of fell into hosting a weekly uh, hunting show on, uh, in my first job in radio, uh, and it was in East Texas. And uh, my boss was like, Hey, you got to give these good old boys a, a weekly dose of their hunting and fishing. They need their fix. <laughs> I just fell in love with it. So I eventually left there and moved back to the, the Dallas area and started, uh, started the show on one little radio station here in, in DFW. And um, since then built a little radio network. And I think probably more people listen to the podcast now. Um, and back then we didn't even call it a podcast. Like I was telling you off the air, I just, I had the show recorded and I just put it on iTunes and you could just listen to it if you wanted to, if you missed the radio show. And now I think more people listen to podcasts than they do the radio. Yeah, it's wild. This whole podcast thing, you know, for me, I didn't, I didn't really ever know much about it. I personally never listened to a podcast in my life and out of the blue Eastman's calls me and says, Hey, yeah, you know, Hey, we're wanting to kind of expand a, and do a predator podcast. You're interested in hosting it. And I'm like, well, I better do some research, you know, but it's crazy to me. I like how this is blowing up. I mean, you've seen it in 14 years, how the whole yeah. podcast game has just exploded. Oh yeah. And you know, I don't know, like, but I can, tr I can track the downloads and you see like you're getting a hundred thousand or more downloads an episode and just like, wow, people, I think it's the flexibility of just being able to consume it 
at your own convenience. They say like, I'm driving to the dearlies. Whereas the radio show, if you're not up at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning listening, you, you miss it, right? So yeah, yeah. I think that's the uh, the appeal for me anyway about podcasts. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody has downtime every day, you know, mm -hmm. whether, like you said, if you live in a city and you're just driving to work or like you said, heading out hunting. I get a lot of emails from guys that say, hey, we're heading out hunting. We're listening to your podcast, you yeah. know. I'm like, oh, you're probably going to be disappointed. It's going to get you all fired up, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. What, uh, yeah. so what, do you have a daytime job or is this, uh, the podcast game, the radio thing? Is that your, your real gig or? Yeah, this is my daytime job. Oh, I, my good. wife thinks I have too much fun, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, you know how it is. And for the radio. So like, we can't say shit or fuck or anything on the radio, Yeah, yeah. but I don't, I always forget to tell my guests and also, honestly, I, I want them to be authentic. So part of my job is editing all of those out or bleeping those out, you know, like, yeah, yeah. And, and then putting in for the radio commercial breaks. So I'd say for a one hour show every week, it probably takes five or six hours worth of work where that's another cool thing about podcasts. And I do tape some, some uh, extra content. I just call them campfire conversations and I release those as is. So no commercial breaks, no editing. And I love that because you can be Boom, add a little music on the front and back, and you're in and out in, you know, 30 minutes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, I got it easy, man. I just record these things. Like, I'm not real great with technology. Luckily, Eastman's puts it all together for me. Oh, right. They add right. their little special touches and all that kind of stuff. You know, I don't even uh -huh. know if they beat, to be honest with you, I've never even listened to one of my podcasts, but I don't know if they beep anything out. I don't think I they do. I doubt it. No, nah, like you said, there's got to be a, some authenticity to it, you know, for uh -huh. sure. But yeah, my wife thinks I have too much fun. I mean, I'd say, I'm going to go work in Africa for 10 days. Bye. You know, like, <laughs> okay. Is that really a job? I don't know. I'm yeah. blessed. I'm blessed. I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, I, I never went into getting a degree in radio, TV, film with the idea of, of doing anything in the outdoors. I just fell into it and I just, I love hunting and fishing and, and I love the people. I love the conversations, like the one that we're having right now, the people in this, uh, industry, I think, are, or this community are salt of the earth people. And I think that's probably the most appealing aspect of the whole thing to me. You know, you talk, obviously you talk to a lot of guys that, that do this, not as maybe a full-time gig, but you know, to some extent, I guess. And it seems like everybody, it's like growing up as a kid, you, you have these, oh man, I want to be on a TV, a hunting TV show. How awesome would that be? But it seems like everybody, at least most people I talk to that are doing similar stuff like this like fell into it by accident like it wasn't yeah it wasn't yeah. a plan like maybe it was an idea but there's really no way to plan for it yeah well i so i grew up fishing uh and camping and playing sports like my dad's dad my grandfather was a fisherman he didn't have guns my dad didn't have guns and so i, I got into it i got a dog in college with a girlfriend and she left and the dog stayed it was a chocolate lab and uh, my buddies were like, come on, we're going, we're going duck hunting. I'm like, duck hunting? I said, I think I'm going to drink beer and chase girls. <laughs> and they're like, well, you have the dog. You're coming. And I was like, I don't even own a shotgun, man. I'm like 20 years old. Uh, and finally, they talked me into it. And I, I waited enough tables to buy a Remington 870 and went duck hunting and took my dog. And he hated it. He hated it because <laughs> he hated lightning and he hated fireworks. And finally, and we had a time to the blind because you know, he had no training. He, he fetched sticks and bumpers. We'd like to go swimming like he did. But, uh, finally somebody knocked a duck down. I let Maverick off of his, uh, his leash 
He went and got the duck, brought it back. Of course, he didn't bring it to my hand. He dropped it at my feet because he had no training. I was like, seriously? And then the next one, he did the same thing. And I was like, I'm in. You know, we're, <laughs> well, when do we do this again? Yeah, now I'm yeah. going to buy all the decoys, you know, and uh, and that was 20 years ago. So I, I, I just fell in love with the, anything you can hunt with a dog, uh, whether that's a bear or a pheasant or a duck. It doesn't matter to me. Hogs, we do a lot of that in Texas. I mean, I, I love it. Because the dogs love it. That's oh the yeah, thing, you know? yeah. That's a whole separate deal. Like I got a lot of buddies that hunt coyotes with dogs. You know, and oh, use for the sure. dogs for that aspect. And yeah, they. That's like, you know, I don't think they really like the coyote hunting part. They they love <laughs> the working with the dogs. You know, watching right. them do their thing. Man, it's it's definitely something. Yeah, once you get into it, man, they get into it deep. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of you know you mentioned just kind of falling into this stuff. I was I was very similar. You know, I I don't know if I've ever talked about this on here. Kind of my path. You know, when I was in college, I made the decision. You know, I got out of the Marine Corps. I was going to college, getting a degree in marketing, and I started up a lawn care business. You know, between my freshman and sophomore year of college, just mm -hmm. as a oh, I got I need you know make some money in the summer. And that decision right there was was the decision. You know, twenty some years ago that led me to be able to spend the whole winters hunting because. Once I graduated, I realized, oh, I've built this business up enough. And here in Nebraska, you know, there's not much lawn care to do in December. You right. know? So, yeah. I, I mean, was it's... I was in Nebraska in December. Really? Yeah, I was. Back, uh... Did you miss the big blizzard and everything? Or were you yeah. here before that? Mm, I was there early December, but okay. I was uh, I was whitetail hunting with a muzzleloader. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, up yeah. In the, up in the Sandhills. Yeah, Sandhills. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. like my favorite place. What uh, Do you remember the little town? Oh, You're crap. It's a... Uh shoot oh man I, I don't remember what it was called oh uh, Ru uh, rush rush rushville rush, rushville maybe rushville, rush maybe. were you hunting with an outfitter yeah jordan bud okay um, yeah. yeah all right i yeah. know jordan she yeah she uh part of that sig sour team and stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's kind of right up in some of my coyote hunting stomping grounds right up in that country you know there's no shortage <laughs> of those up there oh. that's for sure no, man, that's, that's, yeah, that Sandhill country is pretty unique. I, anybody that's never seen that stuff is like, wow, this is pretty cool country the way it lays out. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier when we were talking that, you know, you're not a specific predator hunter, although, you know, you have killed lots of predators around, mm -hmm. you know, the world. Um, you know, what's your first kind of what I was, I always like to get the story out of my guests. Do you remember the first coyote you ever killed? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I I called it in. Yeah, let me let me hear and, that story. Uh, well, it, it was kind of like now, like right now, it's we've got ice and stuff all over North Texas, which is weird for us. We, it happens a couple times a year, but I'd gotten a predator call, and I was probably, I don't know, I'd probably been duck hunting for a couple years, and then I'd probably killed a deer, maybe two, and you know, you you get a predator call, and you're like, well, let's see if this thing works, and. And I was like, I'd always heard and read that the colder the, the weather, you know, the hungrier the predators are, the more likely they're going to be up on their feet. And I, back then, I always took a uh, a shotgun and a rifle because I didn't know what I was doing. And some people yeah, yeah. still do, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, I called in two coyotes, and they came in screaming into the decoy. And, of course, I grabbed the rifle and missed them both. You know, I should have just grabbed a shotgun. <laughs> but that was the first coyote I ever called in. <laughs> Yeah, educated them real good. Uh, uh, but but then the next day I went back out, went went to a different spot and uh, called one. I think he was probably forty five yards away, and I I shot him with uh, buckshot. 
And the, you know, I, I remember vividly the tracking job was so easy because there's just blood all over white snow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and I, you know, I, like I told you, if I'm going to the deer lease, I always have the predator call. I'm just not going there specifically to predator hunt. It's just something I do on the side and, yeah. and I enjoy it. I mean, there's nothing that gets your, your blood pumping, like seeing a coyote starting to come into the call. I think you fit the bill of a lot of guys that are predator hunters, I guess to say, you know, I don't, there's, I think there's very few guys like myself or uh, that are like 98% of their hunting time is spent hunting coyotes and predators. You know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of guys, you know, still love to do it all. And then occasionally will, you know, bring the call with them. Like you said, you know, have a little downtime, you kill your deer early, you know, whatever it may be, yeah. you break out the call and cause Anywhere you're going hunting something else, there's probably coyotes there, you know, or bobcats or whatever. The the last thing I shot, the last predator I shot was uh, the last weekend of the uh, Oklahoma archery season and uh, shot a bobcat that got too close to my tree stand with the... With your bow? Yeah, with a bow. Yeah. No kidding. How'd yeah, that no, play I mean, out? He just comes slinking through there and I was like, oh, sweet. You know, I never shot a, I never shot a bobcat or a coyote for that matter with my bow. And uh, yeah, I shot it and did, I mean... Did stick him or did he freaking freak out and jump about 10 it feet went, in the air? It went right through him and he jumped and he ran about 20 yards and then just fell over. Was it, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty cool, though. Heck yeah. Was it, was it a big one? Um, It was probably maybe 20 pounds. 20? Yeah, good size, but not no. Nothing not to be winning the, the West Texas big Bobcat no, I contest. I saw but... what won that, their first contest of the year. I think it paid out 40 grand, but uh, I think the big 34, was... I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which there's bigger ones. Yeah, uh, that's still a massive, yeah. mm -hmm. massive cat, massive cat. <laughs> yeah. So where where else have you all been? I you know you mentioned something about shooting wolves, lynx, bear. Yeah. Uh, Tell me some of these other stories, man. Couple... I'm always curious to hear other stories of uh, of guys, just because all that stuff's on my bucket list to yeah. do someday. But so I shot this bear. I shot that one uh, in Alberta. Shot that one with a rifle. Uh, over bait and then i shot another one on that same trip with a bow over bait and then uh run dogs in new mexico and got a bear there spot and stocked in montana unsuccessfully during a spring bear season and um would you enjoy uh, more the the sitting over the bait or the chasing the dog spot and stock I, you know there's all these man, different ways guys hunt bears what i liked the so i just going back to the dogs i just like uh, just being around the dogs, even just in the truck and, you know, being a part of that whole thing and feeding them in the morning and getting them all situated. I just love that hands-on part of that. So that was pretty cool. Although the dogs were so good that the hunt was over when like, they drove all the way to New Mexico for a three hour hunt, <laughs> <laughs> but I had my dog with me and then we went, uh, we went grouse hunting for three or four days and I did a little fly fishing. So we killed some time, but, uh, that was cool. I although I, I made the mistake of shooting it out of the tree with my bow, and I didn't like that experience. Um, it was pretty high up, and it, the first shot like hit a branch, and then the, now the bear is like screaming and suffering. And I was just like, for me, I would if they're in the tree, I'm just gonna shoot them with the rifle from now on. Yeah, like, which yeah, is what I shot my mountain lion with the rifle, the thirty thirty. I wanted it to be like a western deal, um, and that that I spent. To get my mountain lion, I spent 18 days over three trips to Colorado over three wow. years with the same guy, and I wanted to do it dry ground. In the first, so we went in the spring, and I want to say early April, and spent 
eight days never caught a cat and like on the eighth day i called my wife and i was like when do you have to be back to work and she's like don't do it you son of a bitch and i was like <laughs> i'm doing it and so I, I extended the trip by a couple of days and still came home empty-handed and so the next year i went back in december and it was there was snow all over the ground and we caught two females and we we didn't want to kill females he he's been doing this 30 years and has only ever killed one cat himself and uh from a conservation standpoint he's like we we kill toms we don't kill females oh yeah um, seems like all those guys are like that yeah so we caught two and didn't we let them go and i go back again and there's and i go back in december of the next year and uh and there's no snow on the ground and he almost canceled he's like dude the conditions are terrible i was like well my wife's already asked off work and this is when i can come he's like all right well come on we'll see what happens and this time we were hunting private land for the first time and this cat had killed two foals. Uh, so this guy had lost two horses. And he was like, the deal is you have to kill what you catch. So like, I don't care what it is. That's the, if you can agree to those terms. And we're like, fine, yeah, whatever. And we ended up catching a female. And the outfitter's like, well, either you have to kill her or I have to kill her. And I was like, well, here's the deal. We did this on dry ground, which is what I wanted to do from the beginning. This cat's a problem now. It's not going to stop killing livestock. So I'll shoot it, you know, and that was my, my decision. And there was no reason to kill for, for me, for him to kill it. And then us have to go kill another one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, and I said, I always said, I'll only kill one mountain lion. No, I'm going to go again. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was I your, uh... like a year. And then I was like, wait a second. I like that too much. And it, you know, I, I want to get a big Tom. So what was your, uh, what was your reasoning for want to go dry ground as opposed to waiting for snow and stuff like that? I wanted to go with excellent dogs and I wanted to go with the houndsman. I didn't want to go with the 20 year old kid that could, here's the thing. Anyone can cut a track in the snow. Yep. I could take your dogs and your, if you have good dogs and I could find a track and turn them out and I could go catch them out one with your dogs. No, I wanted to do it where like the old school way with a real houndsman who knows his dogs, who can read a track. Um, that's, you know, that's what I wanted out of the deal. You know, I've I've been lion hunting one time with dogs, and it was the exact same way. It was late in the spring, dry ground. I had mm. it was a guy, you know, only a couple hours away. A buddy of mine, Colton Gillum, lined it up, and and we went up and hunted with this guy for a day. And we just that's all I had was a day, you know. So it was like, mm. well, let's just go and and uh, I bought the tag, and yeah, we turned these dogs loose, and it was cool because you know once they cut that track, it took us half a day of hiking around, you know, and that was the we weren't just driving roads. It was like, Hey, let's go on this like five mile hike and maybe the dogs will cut a track kind of a deal. Yeah. And sure enough, they cut one, and they shoot up this big rocky ass Canyon and we're just sitting there waiting. And that was cool. Like just anticipating, okay, what, it, what are they going to catch? Um, that the outfitter had been in there all winter. He knew that there was a, a female with, with a couple cubs, I guess. Mm -hmm. So he was hoping that a big male would be, you know, roaming through there. And that, well, sure enough. So the thing about dry ground is you have no clue what you're getting up on, you know, at right. least in the snow, those guys know, you know, like, oh yeah, we ain't even going to cut the dogs loose on this one. Yeah. But this deal, yeah, we got up there. Um, and I had never seen a mountain lion in the wild up to that point. And sure enough, we get up to the tree and there's like three full-size mountain lions in this tree. You know, it was the mom <laughs> and two full-size kittens, but it was really cool. Yeah. Um, the kittens just laid there like they they were one of them was asleep already on the branch but the mom she was irritated she like she didn't want anything to do about so he's 
you know, you know how those guys get those dog guys. He's like, God damn it. We got to get these dogs out of here. Cause we knew we weren't going to kill him, you know? Yeah. So we start trying to pull the dogs. Well, about that time, the, the mom launches itself off this branch, hits the ground running and sure shit, all the dogs. And he, the, he's cussing <laughs> yeah. up and down. God damn it. You know, we got to get these dogs back. Well, they all, the two kittens just still laying up there, sleeping in the tree. Well, the dogs take off chasing the female. She goes into this big boulder field and he's even more pissed now. Cause he's like, Oh my God, she's going to rip my dogs apart. Uh, so he's shocking them and trying to get them out of there. And we finally get them all. A couple of the dogs come out and they got cuts on their noses and one had a split ear. You know, they backed her into a little corner down in that boulder field, but yeah. she whipped a few of them, but yeah, it was, that was cool. And at that point I was, uh, to me, that's what I guess I was really wanting was just to see him. Like, to me, the killing part was like, okay, this thing's like 10 feet up in a tree. I mean, it's not yeah, much of a challenge. It's anticlimactic, yeah. Yeah. To me, I got to experience what I would feel is be the coolest part of mountain lion hunting. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't had, you know, ever since then, I haven't had the the crazy urge to go after it again. I thought if I do, I'm going to have a like an expensive taxidermy bill is all after that. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I ate the crap out of mine, too. It was delicious. Really? Oh, yeah. What's so uh, I've eaten, uh, I've eaten like mountain pork? lion. Pork yeah, is that kind of the a little I think tougher. I've heard that tougher. I've heard. Yeah, but that's comparison. a good analogy comparison. Just a little chewier. Um, but I mean, I I had people over to watch a football game and cooked it up for them, and they ate it. Did you tell and, them? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. No, I told them. They know that what they're getting into when they come to my house. <laughs> uh, but then I ate a uh, bobcat one time. Terrible. Sim similar or not as good? No, it was gross, man. It was so gross. It was we didn't we didn't use any seasoning. We were like, let's and this was probably our own negligence, right? But my buddy, I shot this bobcat. It was stalking a quail feed. It was coming to a deer feeder where you know in Texas, quail come and eat the corn too. Yeah. And this bobcat just slinking through, like probably does every afternoon, trying to pick off a quail. And I was like, son of a bitch, you're not killing these quail. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyway, it had a beautiful pelt. And I was like, this will this one will make a nice uh, skin. And uh, so I shot it, and then we get it back to camp. And my buddy's like, let's eat that thing. And I was like, right, I'll try anything once. But he's like, but let's not let's not season it because let's really find out what a bobcat. Oh tastes god. Like. We took the back straps and put them on the grill and. Everyone took one bite and was like, that is disgusting. <laughs> Tastes disgusting. <laughs> and I ate a lynx in Canada. I went on a trap line trip with these guys in, um, oh, crap, British Columbia. And the reason I went was to get a wolf. like Because I, I, I mean, I'd go to these hunting trade shows, like the one you're about to go to in Utah. And uh, I would vet out these outfitters and, you know, price what their wolf hunts were. And most of them said the same thing. Yeah, it's uh, $4,000 for, you know, a five-day hunt with a 20% chance you see a wolf. Yeah. See a wolf. Not not shoot a wolf. See a wolf. And I was like, I don't have money for that, for the chance I see one, and then, God forbid, I miss it and hate <laughs> yeah. myself. No. So I, I found a trap line trip in uh, British Columbia with these moose outfitters, and they had become very adept at trapping because – they started to notice, like, you know, they're doing 50 moose hunts a year, and they have hundreds of thousands of acres in their concession. Uh, but they started to see a decline in their moose population. And then and they figured out, well, it's, the wolves are just getting a free pass. And so they started trapping them. And then they started selling a week-long uh, trap line trip. And so I did that, and I got a wolf. I got uh, three lynx. I got three coyotes, a, a fisher. Oh yeah, a, uh, a bunch of pine martins, and the thing that they were the most pumped about because I think 
they said that they catch one like 20% of the trips was uh, we caught a Wolverine. Oh, Wolverine. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I got everything. And, uh, well, here's some, here's the big mail links that I got. Uh, let's see. Let me turn this this way a little bit. Obviously, you're listening to this. So you aren't going to be able to see this picture. Yeah. But I'm recording with cable here on the Zoom, so I can actually yeah. see that. So, so there's a links right there. And yeah, he's yeah. chasing a, a pine martin around a tree. And that thing, you can flip a switch, and that mount just goes in the 360s. Like, oh, no. That's an awesome yeah. mount. That's pretty cool. But, uh, but yeah, man. And so we ate, we ate in camp. Uh, they made Lynx lo mein and it was oh, pretty shit. good. <laughs> I was so always I, thinking this is going to taste like the Bobcat. And I was like, oh God, this is going to suck. But I, you know, maybe it was because it was seasoned better or just enough sauce different. on there, you know? Yeah. It was pretty good. <laughs> so how's a trap line hunt? I, I've heard of these hunts. I actually had a guy by the name of Kyler Knelson on, um, he does a bunch of wolf hunting stuff up in, I think it's Northern Alberta. I believe uh -huh. he was on a podcast here a while back and he does a lot of the baiting, you know, sitting in the, like you talked about. Yeah. Um, but I've always wondered how that, how, how's the logistics of that trap line? I mean, you just wake up every morning and jump on a snowmobile and pretty and much yeah, ride the snowmobile for all day long, checking the line and then back to the lodge or cabin or yeah. whatever. That's how it works. Or, and maybe you swing into town with the truck and you pick up the, uh, the gut, piles from the slaughterhouse for you know the cows or sheep yeah, or yeah. whatever and they just leave them in these buckets for these dudes because they see the value in what they're doing you know helping control the wolf population uh, so they just load up these big frozen buckets and then we take them out on whether it's the frozen lake or they have a set in the woods or wherever and we just dump those out if a moose gets hit by a, a truck somebody calls them they go scrape it up Yo, and drag it out somewhere i mean everyone the whole community is in on it like they, they want these guys doing what they're doing because a lot of them are moose hunters too, you know, like it's affecting their, their protein source. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what you do. And then, so they set leg holds and they set snares, watching them set a snare set up, like say they drug a moose with a snowmobile 300 yards into the woods. And then they, they might have 20 snares every around. possible path coming into that yeah. sucker and we only caught one we caught in a leg hold it was still alive when we got there i shot it with the 22 and uh but they've had days where they've caught seven wolves and like around one moose carcass Jamie. yeah yeah um so i've seen coyotes and traps leg hold traps before and they kind of bay up they don't what'd that wolf do did he did he get did he kind of was he real timid or was he super aggressive when you were uh she was kind of timid she was, yeah yeah but she had there was a big, they'd put a cinder block down in the ice and on the lake and then buried some meat and they bury it to keep the ravens away from it because they didn't want to catch those. And she dug it up and she got caught. And well, she, she drug that cinder block out of the ice and because we got to the trap and the guy's like, the trap's gone. He's like, but then it was easy to find where she had drug it and she got it eventually hung up in a tree on the bank, maybe, I don't know, maybe a mile from where it was. And, uh, yeah, we, I didn't get too close to her, maybe 20 yards, and, and shot her, and she, you know, she fell over dead. Yeah. The Wolverine, I shot from, like, literally the muzzle of the gun touching the Wolverine. That son of a bitch would not die. I had to shoot it, like, <laughs> three times. That was a tough bastard. Was he mean, or was he, like, coming? Or... That one was that one was pretty fer ferocious. <laughs> <laughs> he And it was, uh, you know, I felt bad. It, the guy was like, all right, you're going to put too many holes in it for the taxidermist. And I was like, it's still alive, man. So I was like, I shot it one more time. He's like, stop shooting it. And I'm like, it's suffering. I got to kill this thing. <laughs> so I did. I shot it three times, but it was, that thing was tough. Super tough. Did you get that? Did you get that Wolverine mounted? Uh, that one's still the taxidermist. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it will, it will be full body mounted, but uh, don't have that one back yet.
How many days were you on that trap line hunt? I think it was a six day, I think it was a six day trip, like six days in the wilderness and on snowmobile um, or some of them they had right off of the roads. Like you could drive your truck and then put on snowshoes and hike into the woods a hundred yards. Um, they had more links and pine Martin type setups for that, but yeah, it was pretty cool. And then these tiny little ermine weasels, these little, yeah, you yeah. know what those are? Yep. Very small. We caught some of those too. Um, just, I think those were just bycatch, but the thing they like catching the most was the pine Martins for their, for them personally, because they can flesh it out, put it on a board and have it ready to be sold very quickly. And it's, they're worth 75 bucks. No kid. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's probably, I mean, probably a lot more of those than there are the other stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. How many of those did you guys catch during that trip? I think we probably caught six, but, um, like it, we, we didn't even reset some of the traps because you, I don't think they wanted to like deplete the population. You know? <laughs> they weren't hard to catch. Did they, they consider those a predator probably up in that country? I mean, they got to eat. Yeah. I mean, what would they, they, they eat, eat like rabbits grou- and rib, grouse birds, yeah. stuff probably. Uh-huh. Huh. Cause how big is a pine Martin? I mean, I've seen pictures. I've never seen one in person. Like maybe mm. two feet long? Or are they yeah, even that big? Pro- probably. Probably something like that. If you yeah, I'm looking at this one. A foot and a half. Foot and a half. Foot and a half. Yeah. Like big as round as like a they're not like very a big. Liter bottle of pop, maybe. Like a prairie dog. Maybe like a prairie dog like size? Prairie dog, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a liter of pop. Yeah. Huh. Something like that. Curious if anybody's ever called one in, like if they've been out calling in Pine Martin country. You know, and I had one come running into the call. I don't know. I don't, I have no be, idea. be interesting. Oh, you know out. what I did? Have you ever heard this though? So after that trip, uh, someone sent me a picture of a dead lynx and they said a fisher killed it. I was like, there ain't no way. Like a fisher is the, like between a pine martin and a wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, these the fishers prey on lynx. And I was like, that, that's just, you're blowing smoke up my ass, whatever. So I, I actually found an article about it and then tracked down a biologist from Canada and they have done studies and confirmed like uh, dozens of kill sites where, where fishers kill the lynx and eat them, which you just no don't kidding. think about that. Yeah. They've become very adept at it. And I don't know why or like how all that plays out, but they have, they've confirmed through like DNA and everything else, like that fishers are, or they, they prey on lynx, which are like four times, five times. They're much, much bigger. Yeah, yeah. So I'd be curious to watch. I wonder if those those fishers use the the trees and like you know aerial attack them. You know, from you know bomb off the branch onto the top. I'd love to see it on camera. It would be cool. Yeah, that would be an awesome. I'm surprised there's nothing like that on national. You know, any of those cool, not national. Yeah, just on Netflix and stuff. You come across these crazy shows with this footage of animals, and you're like, how they even get that stuff? I wonder if there's anything even out there on that. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think they have any of it on video. I was going to ask you though, do you have red Fox where you are? A few, not a lot. I mean, you'll find them right around the farm country, you know, the farmyard. We just have too many coyotes. So, you know, so they keep the red Fox kind of in check out mm-hmm. in the, in the big pasture country and stuff. I was just curious. I've seen like two or three in the wild, but I've never called one in and we don't have a lot of them in Texas, but we have a bunch of gray fox, which yeah, those are those are obviously very easy to. Oh yeah, call yeah. <laughs> yeah. Red fox. I mean, I bet you, I've, if I don't, I could count on one hand probably the number of red fox that I've shot in the last 
I don't know, 15 years. And mm-hmm. most of those are just, you know, driving around and you see them and you shoot them, you know, yeah. <clears throat> called them in. I maybe called in two or three. So yeah, it's, we just don't have them. I know back at East coast, they kill a lot of them, you know, but yeah, even them, they're, they're not, the, the coyotes are exploding so much in some of those States. I think the red Fox population is even declining a little bit, you know? I see my, like my friend, Jeff Thomason with predator pursuit. I like, he goes to Pennsylvania and they smack them pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But I have, yeah, I have never called one in here. I was just curious. Yeah. They're, they're cool. I, I'd like to, my goal at one point, I think the last red Fox, I, I had a deal with a, with a taxidermist guy. I told you I have a lawn care business. I mowed for his mom all summer. Mm-hmm. And every year I just traded him one taxidermy item for you know mowing for his mom so i thought oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna start my own little small predator collection right yeah and the first thing he ever did for me was a coyote and it it's probably the most badass coyote man i've ever seen something mm-hmm. man this guy's legit because small predators are extremely hard to to mount for some reason getting the eyes yeah. right you know cats especially mm-hmm. it's just, i've mm-hmm. seen a lot of jacked up cat mounts and coyote That's mounts. the hardest yeah and so anyway, I'm like, wow, this guy's really good. So then I had him mount. I, I shot a bobcat down in Kansas hunting with Rick Plett. And he got that back. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. It wasn't great, great. So then hoping, I hoping ha- he doesn't listen to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I had a badger. You know, this is like 10, 12 years ago, right? So then I shot a badger the following year. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna have him mount that. I got it back. And this thing's like standing up on straight on its front leg. So it's like, mm. that's not even a natural pose. Well, then I finally shot a red fox finally and i that was the last thing i ever had this guy mounted and i wanted it to be like pouncing you know when those red fox jump up and then they kind of go head first down into the snow yeah. you know to catch mice and stuff and and i had him do that and it was it was the worst one yet <laughs> so that thing yeah. ended up in the dumpster but uh i think that might be the last red fox i shot and that was maybe mm. eight years ago you know so yeah that's cool <laughs> minus the mount that's not cool yeah yeah so you mentioned on our brief conversation before we started recording that you were just down in Mexico. Yeah. Were you mule deer hunting? I was mule deer hunting, but, Uh but you took some time and and you whacked some coyotes. We, we killed on a five day hunt. We killed, I want to say 10 coyotes. And, uh, most of those were just driving around just like, there's so many, you just see one and it's like, whose turn is it? You know? Uh, (laughs) but yeah, we did take the call out and literally, I think we did two, we did two stands and killed three coyotes. And like, I'm talking about in like 15 minutes. Like it was like very poorly thought out and yeah. you know, just like <laughs> throw the call out and here they come boys. You know, like there's so many coyotes down there. And I was telling you, dude, they were eating the protein out of the deer feeder every night. Not like a one-time thing. It, there was 10 feeders on this 20,000 acre place. And you, uh, we had cameras on all of them and, my buddy would pull the cards and there'd be coyotes at the protein feeder up on their hind legs, eating the, sucking the protein every night. I don't know if they were in a bad <laughs> drought or like, or what I believe, and this is just Cable's opinion, but here's the weird thing. I got back to Texas and we have this, um, uh, biweekly newspaper called Lone Star Outdoor News. I'm not affiliated with it. Just some buddies run it. And on the front page, it's the same picture that I've just seen for a week in, in Mexico, but it's in South Texas and it's, a feature on coyotes starting to eat protein. And so my take is, well, coyotes are the most adaptable mammal in North America. Like they are in places that they didn't used to be. They thrive in urban and as well as rural or the backcountry situations. It doesn't matter. 
a coyote can call anywhere home and they can thrive in any situation. So it's not really surprising to me that they would figure out that, hey, protein is good for us. And yeah, you know, up in this country, yeah. up in the in on the winter, the the ranchers feed, you know, they call it cake, but it's these big protein supplement pellets almost, mm-hmm. you know. And if you've probably seen if if you've ever been up in this country, or even any cattle country, they have a flatbed truck and they kind of have this, I don't know, it's this concoction machine on the back that fills up about, I don't know, a third of the flatbed, you know, and it spits the the cake out the side. Oh yeah. And they'll run it and they'll they'll drive out in the pasture and they'll drive a line, you know, and spit this stuff. And then you'll see all the cows in the line kind of eating it. Well, m- many, many times I've seen it and the ranchers have told me those coyotes will come in and eat that. You know, they've been doing that for years oh. out here. You know, they they understood that the hey man, this is pretty easy pickings right here. I can go in there and eat this. Okay, and yeah. it's a hard pellet. It's like the size of a I don't know, like half the size of a pop can. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, so they're just crunching it and chewing it. And but it's like easy. They they understand, man. The easier yeah. it is, the better. Yeah. Well, it's a it's relatively new thing down here, I think. And I I have I mean, I've seen actually at my deer lease in West Texas, um, I've had them one coyote in particular. I mean, it was the same coyote every night, I think, but he was there eating corn. Uh, but I just had never seen them like to the degree where there's three or four, five at a feeder, and they are all sticking their face in the protein feeder. You know, like that was new to me. But not surprising, uh, right? Yeah. On, on the same hand, this year I found out something too. The first time I'd ever seen it was coyotes eating sunflower seeds. Huh. You know, we have a lot of sunflower fields up in this country as well, so they harvest the sunflowers and you know, when they're transferring over from like the grain cart to the truck, they'll spill little piles of sunflower seeds out. Well, I was hunting this place, driving back to the the place where we were staying, and there was a coyote standing right in the middle of the dirt road eating something. And mm. kind of he spooked off and ran into the cornfield. And I was like, what was that? And, I, and then the next night he was there. We, I don't know if it was the same coyote or a different coyote, did the same thing. So I stopped and looked, and it was a, a pile of sunflower seeds mm. that, you know, that, that spilled huh. off and, and, the farmer told me he says oh yeah they love sunflower seeds um the the coyotes are going woke they're going woke they're turning into (laughs) vegans yeah Uh, so back to this mexico deal i mean it's mexico is number one on my list as far as where i haven't been where i want to go i mean i'm like in pursuit of a a 20 coyote day like a daytime coyote hunt 20 coyotes in one day something i've never done Uh and to me i feel like that's probably your last place in you know in the northern hemisphere that you're going to take you know get that done just from like stories like yours stories i've heard from other guys it just seems like that's that's the place to go if you want to just smash i think you could do it on the ranch we were on man like there were so many coyotes um yeah i (laughs) i don't think it would be hard to do Uh, it, it sounds like a pretty daunting task 20 coyotes in a day and but I've never been anywhere where there was that many coyotes. Uh, South Texas hunting whitetails there. Yeah, there's a lot of coyotes, but it's so thick. Like, um, And there's parts of that place that are thick, but it's desert. And you can, there's there's tons of openings like where you could make good stands. I think that's the problem with the Texas, South Texas brush country is those places are few and far between where you can, you have enough visibility. Yep. You know, you might have a couple on a, on a nice size ranch, but you're going to run out of places to make a stand real quick. Yeah, hence um, the birth here, of the high rack like, trucks, right? Right, in Texas, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> which is what we hunted deer out of, and a lot of those coyotes we shot just in passing by was out of the high rack down there. Yeah, because I'm supposed 
the local Mexican guys, they don't probably shoot them, do they? I mean, they, they, they're first they probably... have guns. Yeah. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I don't think they shoot them. I think they would, but they, they don't have, it's harder to ha- own a firearm in Mexico and expensive. And you, these are just good old cowboys working that, you know, work on the ranch that guide during hunting season. Yeah. So. That's wild. Yeah. It's, did you guys they see any bobcats? Uh, no, we saw a uh, mountain lion though. Really? I did not see it, but I, we had pictures of it. Same that the mountain lion was showing up at the protein feeders at night. Uh, literally the week when I was there, we pulled a card, there's a mountain lion. And so we found the tracks and, uh, and I didn't see it, but I was on the high rack and they, they have, so down there to be quiet when we're deer hunting, the, the guide will tie a rope around the driver's shoulder. And when he wants them to stop, he just yanks on it. And so they don't, <laughs> no you don't kid. have to go hey, and like beat on the, the hood truck, of the yeah. truck, right. Or yell at him. So all of a sudden I just, I knew that he had yanked on the, the rope because the guy's like getting his arm yanked out of socket, but no, really, he's just telling him to stop. <laughs> and all of a sudden my friend Arturo that I was there with is looking through the scope and he's cause the guy had nudged him. There's a cat over there. And uh, they said it wasn't a bobcat. And then we he's like i think it was a mountain lion man he's, i was like you're sure it's not a coyote he goes dude it was a cat and it wasn't a bobcat he was like it was way too big so you know at uh who knows but there we do have a picture to document that the cat was there now could you shoot i mean it, w- what kind of license i mean was there even a license to even shoot that kind of stuff down there i don't i think my i asked arturo and he's like dude just all you need is money <laughs> <laughs> all you need is- <laughs> Yeah, like, we'll, we'll figure it out later. I was like, the Mexico motto. From what I do for, for what I do for a living, you shoot it because I don't want to be, you know, I'm not touching anything that's <laughs> illegal, potentially illegal. Uh, that could affect my my career, but you know, more power to him. I've I've mentioned this Mexico trip to people. I, you know, the last stand show that we film, I've been wanting to go down there because I think we could just get some crazy, crazy good footage. You know, we'd probably just shotgun almost most of those coyotes. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. what's the travel like getting down there i mean is it everybody's worried about drug yeah. cartels and this and that i mean what i mean is it is it that bad yeah. or is it just so this was the first time i ever hunted in mexico and i that was part of the and my my friend arturo so he lives in houston he is of mexican descent though he's he's fluent in spanish and his family deer lease is in acuna which is just on the other side of the texas border so he's been back and forth his whole life um but that's closer to cartel activity. The closer you are to the border, the closer you are to what's going on with the cartel. So to get to Sonora, which is where the big mule deer are, and they also have like coos deer, uh, you fly essentially to Phoenix and then to Hermosillo, Mexico, which is in the Sonora region. And you fly past all the cartel activity. So, and it's like, you know, maybe an hour and 45 minute flight from Phoenix. And so, yeah, I was very... Uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find out how safe I felt when I was actually there. Like I never, it never was an issue. Yeah. yeah. That's, and I, I was kind of just assuming, but I kind of assumed that same thing, like flying down is probably, especially going deeper down into Mexico would be the way to go driving. Even along the border, like they, the, the cartels, they don't want to get mixed up with an American hunter because all that's going to do is bring heat on them. Like they're not interested in your, you know, thousand dollar hunting rifle and the 500 yeah, yeah. bucks you might have in your wallet. They don't care. They're, they're running, you know, hundreds of millions of dollar illegal operations. They they don't want to get involved with you. Whenever that happens, it's wrong place, wrong time. It's just by and large, they don't, they don't want to mess with hunters. 
Did you did you take your own rifle down there with you? Uh, I did not, but there were other guys in camp that did. Did so, yeah. My buddy just he drove from Houston, and I had shot his rifle plenty of times. So that's my only hang up. I'm like a I've been shooting an AR-15 since 2004 and suppressor since 2008. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, man, I go down there, I'm gonna be back to like the Stone Age shooting this bolt gun with no suppressor. You know, uh, we had a suppressor, but he kept it in his pocket when oh. he drove across the border. <laughs> <laughs> That's a no, no. Don't take yeah. your suppressor down there. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's states you can't. Like I went, uh, um, axis deer hunting in Hawaii in May, and I was telling my buddy, the the guide, I was like, Hey, yeah, I'm planning on bringing my suppressed 300 Win Mag. He's like, Uh, uh, you can bring your 300 Win Mag, but you can't bring that suppressor. I'm like, really? Like, yeah, there's obviously on California. It's one of the few others. states. Yeah, I guess. There's seven, I think. Maybe seven still? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I haven't seen an updated hunt map in a long time on that suppressor yeah. deal. Once you go suppressed, you never go back. No, no. Yeah. I, like I said, wow, I got my what first. Are we, what are you? Someone like shows up without a suppressor. Wait, are you a caveman? What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> yeah, my boys, my boys have been hunting with me forever. And that's like they're, they've always shot suppressors. They've been around suppressors ever since they were alive. And that's like the first question they ask when we go hunting with somebody. They're like, did they shoot suppressed? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right? and they're like, oh, no. It's like, yeah, you're the devil mm. if you don't have a suppressor on there anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, so all these trips you've taken you got like a bucket list thing like what's what's next like uh, it seems like you've yeah. you've killed a lot of crap man as far as predator wise bears wolves lynx you know all this stuff um so the one at the top of my list well i would love to take a brown bear uh, i haven't done that and i've I, I can't afford to do the the north american ones like so i've looked at russia, russia. Yeah. yeah i've looked at that uh but i've also heard like things about that hunt that don't appeal to me like you find the bear out of the helicopter and then yeah, you yeah. drop in and then you, then you go kill it. Like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that, but it's they'll, much they'll more let you shoot them with like a bazooka if you pay enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much money do you have? Uh, well, I have enough to go hunting in Russia, but I don't know yeah. if I want to do it that way, but I don't have enough to go to the Yukon or Alaska, you know? Um, but I mean, those, those bear hunts can be $20,000, alone or maybe you're on a thirty thousand dollar moose hunt and they give you a deal and let you shoot one for 10 grand right like yeah uh, well then you're still in for the 30 grand for the moose hunt so all that's just out of my you know i have three kids i'm like how do i justify that yeah no kid college and stuff and so i don't um but but like that trap line trip for example um and i trade out a lot of these hunts like i go to africa and it's all i trade it out i take guys with me and um trade it out for advertising but the one that I like was happy to pay full price. And I think the, I think it was like $6,000 for that trap line trip. And I was on a two year waiting list for that thing. Wow. Um, so there are trips where I'm like happy to fork over the money, but that's a lot. Like, you know, I'm, I'm more of like looking at things that are five grand or less. Yeah. Know, yeah. That I can do. That's a lot of money um, for anybody, especially the average just hunter, man. For sure. For sure. Uh, and, but to answer your question, if I could hunt, anything anywhere whether it's a predator or anything else it would it would be a leopard like if money wasn't an issue that that's just the one that i i think would be the man i don't i can't think of anything better than that <laughs> with dogs uh with dogs or or bait. tell me that i need to block off 21 days and do it yeah. over bait like that's what they tell you though <laughs> if you're gonna do the, the bait hunt you better plan on a three-week hunt so but but also i mean i went to the dsc show in 
God, it was like three weeks ago. And I was just kicking the tires on, you know, asking my Africa PH what he could get me a leopard hunt for. Because, like, the, the trade-out thing is great, but they ain't trading out leopard hunts. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, like, uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, I actually just priced two for clients, and they were 42 grand each. I was like, God. The time to go was during COVID. You could get one for, like, 20. Hey, guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I want to take a second to talk to you about Hornady Ammunition. Ten bullets through one hole is the philosophy that brought Hornady from a two-man operation in 1949 to a world-leading innovator of bullet, ammunition, reloading tool, and accessory design and manufacture today. So whether I'm blasting coyotes with my AR-15 and those 53-grain VMAX Superformance rounds or shotgunning coyotes with the 3-inch nickel-plated BB, you won't find anything that's more accurate, deadly, or dependable to use on coyotes. So if you're in the market to test out some new rounds through your rifle or shotgun, visit Hornady.com to find the nearest dealer today. Now, back to the podcast. Maybe even 18, but yeah, they're back up. So it's supply and demand. There's not, a, there's just not enough permits for the amount of people that want to do it. And, uh, and logistics, like you can't kill one in South Africa. You've got to go to Tanzania or Zambia or Namibia or somewhere else, you know, it's, um, and the logistics of getting there and it's just, it's just a lot more expensive. But, What's the, uh, uh, how much of that is just the trophy fee on a leopard? Do you know? Well, I just think the tags are so limited that, you know, I think they just, they just get, they know what they can get for them. So I don't, I don't know what, like yeah. to answer your question, I don't know what percentage of that is just the trophy fee. Uh, I just know they're damn expensive and probably something that, <laughs> I will never get to do. <laughs> uh, my boys were watching some YouTube video, and I think it was some rich guy that went on a hunt like that, and he just brought a cameraman along with him and put it on YouTube. This video had like mm. 500 views. I don't even know how they came across uh-huh. it, but that's what he was doing. That was what his main goal was, was to shoot a leopard and a lion uh-huh. over bait. But like most of his trip was spent shooting other stuff like zebras and stuff for the bait. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, he'd go out and shoot it and they'd hang this bait. And then he'd and go out and shoot something else and hang that bait. You have to pay for that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so by the time you're done, it's like, oh my God, how much bait do we need? Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to pay for that. Everything you pull the trigger on, you have to pay for. So, yeah. But that would be, I, I just don't think there would be anything that could compare to, to that. And, you know, I've read... uh Oh, what is the uh, what is the old dude, the English guy who spent a bunch of time in India hunting tigers and leopards? It's uh, here you talk for one second. I have the book right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tigers. I don't even know if um, I don't even know if that's legit. Can you even get a tiger license? Jim Corbett. Did you say his name? So it's Jim Corbett. Have you read any of his stuff? I haven't. No. Oh, you dude. So you need to. So Jim Corbett, it was the early 1900s. And this dude is paid by uh, Indian, like a lot of it was railroad stuff. And these, these, there's lepers in this book that killed over 100 people. Tigers that had lost an eye or were really old that killed 50 to 100 people. Maybe more. Like these are just railroad, railroad workers in the early 1900s. Nobody gave a crap about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's terrible to say, but that was the reality. And so this dude went over there and he spent his, you know, that's what he did for a career. And then towards the end of his life, he kind of came back around on the conservation side and, and really had a respect, profound respect for both of those cats. And uh, was like, maybe we should try to conserve the ones where we can. And uh, 
but yeah, there's tons of stories in here. Uh, each there's probably 20 different stories of man eating cats in here that he tracked down and killed. No kidding. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah. Can you, I want, you probably can't even get it. Yeah. No kidding. Hey, until you get killed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. I bet you can't even, I don't even think you can go legally shoot tigers. Can you? No, it's one of the few probably things you can. And they should be like, there's not like we're conservationists, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're hard. we, We like killing predators, but, uh, if, if, if you told me we're actually making, we're having a negative effect on the species by doing it, then I'll be the first one to say, okay, well, yeah, we should, we should rethink that as, as hunters. Um, and yeah, there's not enough tigers to, it's the same with the jaguar. You can't legally kill a jaguar. I don't think anywhere in the world. I'm pretty actually I'm positive. You can. Yeah. 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 I've always thought Africa would be cool. I, I've never had any desire to go shoot like a giraffe or a zebra or anything like that, but of the predator game over there, you know, (laughs) like to me, it's, it's probably the same reason I don't care much to shoot any deer or anything here Mm -hmm. anyway, you know, just, just me personally. But, um, but yeah, the predator game in Africa has always interested me just with the variety of stuff that they have. Just shoot anything. You've been over there, right? Yeah. 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 I've been there five times. I'm going back in May. Um, and I have shot a couple of Caracal. Um, which is like our, our yeah, it's like their Lynx. version of Lynx Bobcat, yeah. yeah. Um, and those things, they they hate them, like as far as the the hunting outfits, because they will kill prized animals like bush buck and yala. Uh, I think Caracal is probably a little bigger than like our Bobcat. Um, they look longer, str- like taller, like longer, not I, thicker, I think but yeah, stronger. Like, maybe it's just on a fur. Yeah, and so they don't they don't like them. They'll kill you know. Sure, eventually a a kudu calf turns into a trophy bull. So they trap them. So I shot a big one in a trap, um, in a live trap, and then I shot a smaller one. We hunted them with dogs, which was awesome. You they know, tree already, just like a yeah, oh cat, yeah, shot them with a shotgun out of a tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was cool. I like that. I haven't done. I haven't. I'll be honest with you. I've never seen a jackal never seen one been there five times they're they're everywhere but they should the all the phs and anyone that works at the safari company that that uh, i go with hundred dollars if you shoot a jackal no that's the like the standard bounty huh? just the camp policy like yeah <laughs> jackals are worth 100 bucks so they're probably just like a bunch of educated coyotes running around because everybody's shooting uh, them yeah. the jackals are getting smart mm-hmm. oh but the, you know what else is smart the baboons and i've heard that yeah that mm-hmm. those baboons are really smart they have monkey. They have burbot monkeys. Vervet, vervet, vervet. I don't know. I don't have a final answer on that. Some kind of little monkey, and uh, and I have. I could shoot those. I but I have no desire to do that. Like they're they're not bothering me. But the baboons are hell on camps when nobody's there. They'll come in and destroy it. They have uh, they have thorn like mesquite thorns wrapped around all of the light fixtures that are on like the patios and stuff to keep them away from it. Um, and then they also much like our feral hogs. They'll go into a planted alfalfa field and they'll uproot everything and eat it. So they, there is no love for the baboons, and there's so many of them. You'll see a troop just about every day you go out. You'll hear them for sure every day you're out. And so I have not killed one, but I have shot at them, usually at the ass end when they're four or 500 yards away <laughs> running from you because they're, they're very educated. And, uh, and I always tell my PH, I'm like, Carl, I want to get a baboon. He's like, Pfft. He's like, we're not wasting time with the baboons. Like that's not, we'll shoot one when we see one, but we're not going to go baboon hunting. I'm like, oh, come on, dude. Uh, 
<laughs> but you want to talk about like posting something on social media where you'll just be like watching your unfollowers. Like, you, you know, like I sh when I shot a giraffe, I, I knew I was going to lose followers, but I don't care. I'm pretty transparent. And I, I was just like, if you have a problem with it, then you're following the wrong page anyway. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't pick and choose conservation based off spots or size. I choose conservation when science dictates that this is sustainable. Like, there's countries that have way less giraffe, like Kenya, that used to have a bunch of giraffe. Now they don't because the giraffe don't have a value because people don't aren't allowed to hunt them. So, um, yeah, I, and baboons the same way. Like, who was that poor sucker? Wasn't he like a game commissioner in Arizona or some state? And he went on a hunt over there and had a picture. He posted a picture with like three or four or five yeah. dead baboons that he had shot. He lost his job. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. We, that, that was maybe I, a year I, or two ago. Yeah, um, I think it was in Arizona, and he legally killed those baboons and then posted it, and yeah, he lost his job. <laughs> he got crucified, man. He did. He did. Ah, that's wild. <laughs> and then you have morons in Arizona that are trying to federally protect the coyote. Like, speaking of Arizona. Yeah, <laughs> like... yeah this is something that just came across. I know you did a piece on it um, yeah. a while back about, yeah, trying to save the Mexican gray wolf. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously hunters mistake them for coyotes occasionally, I guess. And Where? yeah, their, their solution to, see... to fix this was to, to ban all coyote hunting in those areas. I'd love to see all of the documented cases where that actually has happened, where hunters have mistaken them. And I'm not saying that, that we wouldn't mistake them, but I think they're making a big stink about like what one wolf got shot. Yeah. So now we need to protect what we already described as the most adaptable animal in North America. Give me a break. Like all it is, is really, it's just a shot at hunting. Like they, if they could protect coyotes there, then it's, th this is their playbook. We did it here. Maybe give it a year, maybe give it two. And then we'll see if we can start to kick that door open in another place. And, uh, you know, have the same kind of success. And it's just like, um, well, New Jersey, they banned bear hunting. And then their go their governor did it like through a abuse of power really, um, and he banned it. And then you read you read if you read like the news a month ago, it was like New Jersey must open up bear season immediately. And well, okay, so they realized like now they're having increased human bear conflict, and Jeez. the bears are more people's pets are getting snatched Imagine out of their that. yards. Yeah, so the, then the governor's like, we have to have an emergency bear season. Oh no shit. <laughs> You know, you could just let hunters do their job. We're not trying to wipe out the bears. We're just trying to manage them. That's it. Uh, but yeah, just give me, it's laughable. It's like um, California. And I, I'm sorry if anyone is offended by my take on California, but I think California is the place where all, it's the root of all evil when it comes to anti-hunting legislation. And you just look like you can't kill a mountain lion there. They banned that in 94. In 2012, they banned hound hunting for black bear and bobcat and then in 2020 they protected the bobcat you can't shoot a bobcat in california it's you go you're going to prison for that shit <laughs> That's, I mean, how ridiculous is that yeah 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 so it's... every time a pet gets eaten in california i cheer and i'm like sorry this is these are the people you put in power this is your bed you sleep in it Sorry about Fido, but that's just collateral damage. Maybe if Fido gets eaten enough times, y'all actually get your heads out of your asses and have a conversation about sound predator management. Well, that is the birthplace of a Project Coyote, isn't it? California? Sure, it's uh, got to be. Well, Project Coyote is just... Oh, dude, they I cannot stand that organization. And they, <laughs> they recently... 
all this stuff came to the forefront for me. Like I knew about Project Coyote um, based off of this anti-predator hunting short film they made a couple years ago. And then, uh, and they're the ones that are at the forefront of trying to get that, uh, the coyote protected in Arizona or, you know, where there's Mexican gray wolves. Um, but we had this dropped in our lap in Texas and, and this is why it's important because a lot of people say you're listening in Montana or Wyoming or a, a, a pretty conservative state where you have sound wildlife management and you're like, well, why do I care about what's happening in California or in New York or, well, all that stuff starts on the West and East coast. And then it just sucks and bleeds into middle America. And now we have to deal with it. And that's what happened here. Like under the cover of darkness, basically there's this group called Texans from outlines and nobody publicized it. Um, I actually stumbled across it on accident and they were petitioning Texas parks and wildlife to protect mountain lions here and make it for mandatory harvest, uh, eight, you know, a mandatory trap line checks uh, on this hour, you know, like, um, and then they wanted to form an advisory board where they would have a place at the table to bend the ear of Texas Parks and Wildlife. Like, we don't need anti-hunters having a seat at the table. But but they said, oh, we're not anti-hunting. I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you go, so you're saying because you shoot a deer every year or whatever it is, it's your claim to being an outdoorsman. Really, you're just a wildlife. You like to take pictures of animals is what you do. <laughs> and, uh, I said, well, let me look at who's on your fa- your your founding. Co-. They said they call themselves the coalition, but it's like their founding board members. And I go, and there's this lady on there. Her name's Pam Hart. Pam Hart has actively protested at the weigh-in of the big uh, the West Texas Big Bobcat contest. Before she protested, she tried to get it canceled in 2021 because of COVID, saying that the weigh-in would violate violate uh, lockdown policies. So she she called like our attorney general. Did all this shit to try to get that thing canceled. They were like, "Well, uh, Governor Abbott said that hunting and fishing are exempt from that, so they're they're going to carry on as is." So she went and protested in person. Pam Hart also financed that short film that we were talking about, where they vilify predator hunting contests that was produced by a uh, uh, Project Coyote. She, her, and her husband Will Hart are the executive producers on that film. This is not Cable's opinion. If you go to the Project Coyote website, there's their picture. They financed it. They're the executive producers. Was that one okay. of the West Texas Bobcat contests that they filmed at? No. Like, was it was a different uh, one, a little local one. I think it was a local one. A little, little local one. Yeah, and I had that kid. I can't remember his name, but the one who was basically made to look like the biggest jerk in the film. Yeah. He, they were just uh, uh, Felipe D'Andrade, the Nat, of course, he's a Nat Geo filmmaker. He's the one that actually videoed um uh the that that film and he told them that he was trying to make a piece you know just highlighting predator hunting he totally lied to him and then he threw him under the bus when they saw the film they were like this is not what we agreed to and he just blew him off like sorry <laughs> they signed a contract apparently they didn't know what they were signing but what he told them in conversation man to man was that wasn't it so they felt completely taken advantage of uh and then but so they make that film and she's she's the executive producer meaning she threw all the money at it and she's on the board of this organization that wants to come in here and dictate to texans how we manage our mountain lion population well mountain lions aren't protected and every year mountain lions get trapped and shot in texas right and they keep coming back and 
I mean, if you talk to any of these hounds got houndsmen out in West Texas that run on dry ground, they're like, dude, we have so many lions. It's unbelievable. And but the but the thing that they did was they tried to paint this picture that every Texan is out there persecuting mountain lions. Oh yeah. When the reality is you're never gonna see a mountain lion in Texas unless it happens to walk by your deer feeder what is looking for an easy meal or you know how mountain lions are like have you ever seen one in the wild no other than when you were hunting yeah them? no no me neither and yeah of course people see them once in a while but they don't really they're not really seen unless they want to be seen um but texans we aren't out there being like oh let's go mountain lion hunting you know like <laughs> but that's the picture oh they really tried to make it look like we were out there trapping these things persecuting them like we think it's cool that mountain lions are in texas and i speak for every texan like we don't we're not looking to eradicate them yeah but we don't need your california wildlife management trying to infiltrate texas parks wildlife and here was the the nail in the coffin was in that plan that they that they tried to strong arm texas parks wildlife with it said when we get our advisory committee or what they call it a stakeholder advisory board which they were going to oversee and they this is what they said in their on their website, you can go to texansformountlions.org or whatever it is, you could find it there. They had the audacity to include the people that they wanted on the advisory, the stakeholder committee with them. They said, animal welfare organizations. Do you know what an animal welfare organization is? That's PETA. Yes. Yeah. HSUS. That's Guardians for Wildlife. That's uh, def no, Defenders of Wildlife. That's Those are animal welfare welfare organizations and you want them to to not to not we don't want you to have a seat at the table but now you're going to invite these groups i was like you you have no leg to stand on you are you are unequivocally anti scientific wildlife management so that's what but but here it is coming and bleeding in from california i mean where they protected mountain lions in 1994 so yeah and if it's coming to texas i mean that just tells you i mean no nobody should feel like they're immune like it's not it's not coming to your state at some point 100 you're spot on right there man i was just thinking you know i was we did a podcast kind of on this here a few few episodes ago um i mean what what's your take eventually i mean do you see how do you see this going down in 10 years from now i mean i look at the changes mm. just with them you know successfully banning coyote contests in arizona and new mexico um colorado already you know that's kind of the tip of the iceberg where's your take on this you know predators seem to always be on the tip of this thing mm -hmm. you know when it comes to the anti-hunting movement i mean there's not like uh yeah. you know project elk out there that's trying to say you know it's project yeah. coyote there's it seems like so where do you see this going in 10 years from now i think we're fighting an uphill battle for sure so there, there's two things number one they the other side of the aisle is well funded and they're well organized and and that has become very clear to me in my battle against Texans from outlines. Like they, they have a lot of money and they're very well put together. And for a long time, the hunting community was reactionary. Like we'd find out they're doing something and we'd try to react. Well, we weren't organized and we weren't well-funded. Well, we could be, and we're starting, you know, there's organizations. I mean, SCI is a good one. Sportsman's Alliance is a great one. Howl for wildlife. All of these entities are out there putting out action alerts whenever there's anti-hunting legislation that's coming around. So I would suggest getting plugged in with them, even if you're not going to financially support them, which I would encourage people to 
pay the $35 a year and become a member because you're going to get their newsletter. Um, but get involved with their social media because they're putting the links out there. And they've simplified it to where even though I live in Texas, when this um, Arizona bill is pushed forward, I can just go to their website and click it and, and it sends a generic email that they've already typed out for you, but it sends it to all the elected officials that have any sway in that decision in that state. So it's, I mean, that stuff matters. You could write your own email, whatever. Um, but you, we need to get involved with that. And then um, the other thing I see is, um, I just lost my train of thought here, but so they're well-funded, they're well-organized. Um, shit, where was I going to go with that? It was going to be a great, great topic, but <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought there. Well, yeah, I, and, and we talked about that earlier, like just the being knowledgeable, like you said, mm -hmm. not 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 knowing what's out there, just assuming that you're immune. I like remember. I remember. I figured so, I'd bring you back on a track yeah. there. So here's the other thing. And, and dude, for so long, Jeff, I, I've, I've preached – and really kind of made it like my mission to, it's like a numbers game. The more hunters, the better, right? I've always thought that until about the last two years. And I no longer think that. And I don't know, there's organizations, some very popular ones out there who I think are recruiting the wrong kind of hunter. Because are you really on our side? If, you're, if, you're, if your stance is, I'm a hunter, and then your next word is but. Yeah, And that no. butt is followed by, I don't like trapping, or I don't think we should kill wolves, or mm, I'm not really in favor of bear hunting. Like, then, then you have now weakened our gene pool, and you have, you've added validity to the idea that you could be a hunter, but you don't have to stand for these other forms of scientific wildlife management. And, and I think that that is so important that we need to realize like hey when we're recruiting these new people into the fold we have to educate them on everything that we do not just that i go and kill a whitetail or a mule deer every fall and put it in the freezer that's great i'm glad that you're buying a hunting license but if you ain't on if you're not fully in vested then you're on the, you're on the wrong side of the fence oh yeah and division within the team is is no good yeah but i didn't used to think that way man um but Dude, there's just so many, uh, let's say, adult onset hunters that that's their mindset. And it's really sad to me that they, they you don't pick and choose conservation when it makes you feel good, like makes you feel warm and fuzzy that you don't <laughs> kill a predator. Like, no, screw that. You, you're either in or you're out. And so we need to make sure that these new people that we're recruiting, and, I, and I'm not saying we should stop recruiting by any, by any means. Like, I still think if we have more hunters, as long as they're of the right mindset, that's a good thing. Uh, but lately, it just seems like whew, there's so many of them that that the, that's that I'm a hunter butt thing. Yeah, and predator hunting is such a tough thing when it comes to that too, because there is this kind of this I almost call it like the meat eater mentality right now of of the well, new hunting community. Like I didn't say them personally, but that was yeah. I, I use it. I mean, not yeah. not I just that's just what it is to me. Like if you're not yeah. going out and killing something specifically to eat it or use it you know, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, I mean, I say this all the time. I kill coyotes cause I love killing coyotes. I mean, their fur is not worth anything. I don't eat them, mm -hmm. you know? So what else is there other than just going out and challenge yourself and shooting, you know, and 
but there's a, like you said, there's a lot of people that call themselves hunters that think I'm like a barbarian, you know, like that is unethical. And well, Texans from outlines definitely shares that sentiment. <laughs> like, you're an <laughs> asshole really yeah, for doing yeah. it. Meanwhile, I'm over here like, Hey, kill them all because they're, you can't kill them all. No, you and you're can't, doing, but you're doing, you're doing me a favor because they kill the things that I like to hunt. You know, like there's, it's very well known that, uh, especially coyotes and bears, the number one killer of mule deer and whitetail fawns are those two, uh, and 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 throwing elk calves too, like black bear, freaking hell on uh, elk calves. My buddy got his masters from Texas Tech, and part of his thesis was being involved in this uh, study in New Mexico where they collared a bunch of bears, and they tracked and they could see the kill sites. Like this is where the bear made a kill. Okay, the day the next day they're going to look at it, dude. This one bear. She had two cubs, and this sow killed 18 elk calves in 21 days. 18. Holy cow. I mean, you're, you're almost at a, a one-a-day clip. Yeah. It's not sustainable. You know what yeah. funds conservation? Uh, elk licenses. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't. Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not anti-wolf. Like, I, I just want to manage. But, like, have you been keeping up with the Colorado proposal? Like, they're trying to get we as a hunting community are trying to get it, the proposal for so the wolves are coming the ship sailed yep. the idiots let the general population decide on that that there's that's beating a dead horse the wolves are coming so now it's well what about the management plan because that's where we're at now and the plan currently has in phase four meaning i think it's after they have like 150 wolves uh the legal trapping and and hunting of wolves well the anti-hunting community is trying to make sure that it doesn't get passed because coming up in the summer, there could be as many as like four openings on their wildlife commission that the current governor who's anti-hunting could replace with anti-hunting persons. Well, then they're going to have their, if, if this doesn't get passed before that happens, the management plan will be no management. Yeah. Just let the wolves run. Okay. Now you've taken the most robust elk herd in the country and you've dumped wolves into it, and you have no management plan. It's illegal to take a wolf. Well, there goes your elk herd. Yeah, there goes all the revenue coming in. Like how many right. hundreds of thousands so, of elk hunters come into state every year in Colorado? Seventy-eight million dollars is what non-resident license sales generate in Colorado. <laughs> or it, that was the number in twenty twenty-one. Okay, most of those being from elk licenses. And now you're you're going to put a dent in the thing that funds, and that's what these morons don't realize. Like. Okay, you want to dump wolves in here. Now you're going to basically bankrupt Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And you say you love wildlife? Like, I just <laughs> somewhere that's not adding up. Like, but we're restoring it to its but, natural but, order. But I feel good saying it. Yeah. <laughs> and here's my Ukrainian flag I put on my Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited to make that. I live right next to Colorado. I'm hoping to dump them wolves in there. I, you know, I'm not an elk hunter, but I'm like, yeah, mm. maybe we'll get a chance to whack a few wolves closer than driving to Idaho or Montana now, you know? Here's a question for you. You're Arizona. You're New Mexico. You're, you border Colorado. What about when the wolves come to your state? You didn't ask for those wolves. You didn't vote on it, unlike the morons in Colorado. Uh, yeah. And I say morons, dude. I mean, obviously, that's tongue-in-cheek. Just like a few of them basically denver and boulder that decided for all of the good rural coloradans out there um but what about that what about now you're you're a rancher in arizona or 
or New Mexico, and the wolves came from Colorado and killed your livestock. And now, now what does New Mexico fishing game do? What do you do as a landowner? They've created a, a shit show for everybody now. Well, the good thing is, I think we can eradicate wolves fairly easy. I mean, we've already done it once, you know. So and I'm not in guess, favor of that as a conservation. No, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I think it's cool, but. Well, now I wouldn't have voted to reintroduce them into Colorado. Like, they, that, that was stupid. We've already reintroduced them. They're doing fine. You know, let, let's manage them where they are. There's no reason to keep doing this and destroying the most, you know, the most robust herd in the uh, elk herd, the most robust elk herd in the country in the process. That doesn't make any sense. You're, you're throwing conservation in reverse. That's what you're doing. Yeah. It's just, I, I always wonder, like, why, like, wolves seem to be, like, the, when it comes to anti-hunters, like, the wolf is the unicorn. Like, what? What is it about why not why not why don't they fight for freaking moose or uh even black bear? I mean, but wolves is it like mm-hmm. that is yeah. the thing. Like they everybody just is so in love with a wolf. I, you know, is it just because of as humans we have dogs? That's like a that's huge part, part of, of our life, and that's like so closely resembles our pet dogs. I you know, I just don't understand yeah. what this they fascination definitely with- anthropomorphize wolves more so than any other species like disneyfy them like i always thought the wolf was the big bad wolf (laughs) (laughs) there's the word bad right there like (laughs) and they don't understand like these these wolves are so good at killing and there's this misconception and these idiots want to believe like oh no wolves only eat the old the young the weak and the sick no they don't discriminate if it's a 360-inch bull elk or if it's a fawn or a calf. They don't care. If it's in front of them, they're going to try to track it down. They're going to try to kill it, and they're probably going to succeed. Yeah, it's it's interesting. A lot of a lot of stuff to think about there for sure. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about what I said? I want to know what you think about recruiting the wrong kind of hunter. Do you agree, disagree? I, I, I do agree. Um, I'm all about trying to get new hunters involved i i more so really lean heavily on our younger generation because i i don't think they're maybe as easily persuaded in that in that realm that they may decide that one hunting's better than the other Mm -hmm. um but the division to me just being a predator hunter being in the coyote contest game for a long time i've seen the division where you hear that i'm a hunter but killing for fun in that contest i'm i'm totally against it you know, I, mm-hmm. that's always made me sick to my stomach. I'm like, how can you, how can you be divided? I mean, you, you're not, you're either all in or you're all out. I mean, I, I agree. agree. Yeah. But you say that. you're just killing for fun. I'd say you're doing everyone a service though, from a management perspective. Like, well, yeah, you could look at, I mean, that's not the way I look at it. It's fun. It's, with to me, it's a, a little side benefit, byproduct. maybe for, maybe for the rancher, maybe for the, the deer herd, antelope herd, whatever. Yeah. But for me, oh, antelope's just, another like those coyotes are hell on antelope. Yeah, you know. But for me, I don't personally look at it when I'm doing that. But I, yeah, mm-hmm. um, but I like your transparency. Like Aaron Snyder always just says, "I just like to kill shit," yeah, and that I mean, always has rubbed me like as a little bit too abrasive. Like, yes, I like to kill stuff too, uh, but I, I'm managing. But I always respected it because he calls a spade a spade. 
Well, and that's probably the main reason I turned myself into a coyote hunter as opposed to an elk hunter or deer hunter was for that reason why. I mean, honestly, I when I would have a deer tag in my pocket, I'd fire a shot and I'm done for the day. You know, I'm done for mm-hmm. the season, you know? Coyotes, no. Nah, I, I mean, I kill one now. I can kill one on the next stand. I can hunt hard all day. I can shoot as many as I can call in in front of me, you know? And I can do You'd it again tomorrow. Really good prairie dog hunter. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so I think that's, you know, that's just kind of what is... T- and it seems like all your hardcore coyote hunters kind of have that mentality. Um, yeah. It seems like that, you know, they like that part about it, but. When do we stop shooting? When do we stop killing? Well, how much ammo do we have? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and it used to yeah. be, yeah, I know when it gets dark, but now with thermal and in that game, that's just changing. Uh, that's a whole different deal there, you know, but, oh, yeah. but no, I agree, man. I think, I think recruitment is super important, but you're, you're exactly right. I've, I guess I've never really heard anybody put it the way you did as far as recruiting the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's super important. Like I said, you recruit the wrong one. That just creates that division that we, we can't have. Yeah. Well, it just gives credence to the idea that, you know, maybe these things that you and I enjoy hunting predators, maybe that's wrong and it's not, and it should, and it, and it, and it has a purpose in management. And you know what? You buy a license, even if you just like to go out and kill shit like Aaron Snyder, or like you, you've alluded to that you like, like yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's always the biggest thing I try. Hey, whether you know the the crossbow game, those kind of the bow hunting mm. games got cr- like that. Oh, he's shooting. I'm like, man, come on, he's he's out there yeah, hunting. He's I shooting a crossbow. I've never shot a crossbow in my life. You know, but that's okay if you want to talk talk shit about him. You know, like you know whatever. But at the end of the day, you got to be on the same team. You know, I mean, there's so many older guys who spent three decades bow hunting that their shoulders are jacked up. I think they should be able to hunt with a crossbow. Like, I don't, who cares? Yeah. Let them hunt. Let the dudes hunt. Uh, Because one day I'm going to be 65 years old and maybe I can't draw back my bow. All right. Well, I still want to spend time in the field. So yeah, I'm going to get a crossbow. Yeah. Moral of the story. We just all have to be on the same team. We got to understand that who we're going up against is all on the same team. Mm. They don't care. You know, they're all well organized. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's, It'll be interesting, man. Like I said, I asked you what you thought it's going to be like in 10 years. I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm thinking we're doomed. Social media has not always been great for us as hunters, you know, mm. but I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully we can come together and keep fighting and keep people in office that understand, you know, what we're trying to do, I guess. Well, I'll tell you what we can't do is just roll over and take it. So like you said, we'll just keep fighting. And if the day comes, we're, god forbid we can't do this then at least we'll know hey we we gave it everything we had yep heck yeah well man i think we're gonna shut her down it's been a great podcast uh before we get off here how can anybody find your podcast your radio show what's the best way to to find all 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 the way you do yeah you just go to a lone star outdoor show it's uh across all platforms that's the website uh, and you can find it all right there man so awesome. you, on, uh, you on instagram instagram facebook uh, i don't really use twitter but and then just the website or wherever you podcast just search lone star outdoors show there's a new podcast every week uh, sometimes more than one but yeah always put well, that is your full-time job i would expect one a week you know right <laughs> yeah we don't want to slack yeah. yeah god forbid my wife would be like do you really don't work do you yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and instagram but, hey, handle what's this at, yeah. at lone star outdoors show yep at lone star outdoors show uh-huh. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. 
well, yeah, I'll get this up there and, and, uh, I'll share it over with you. And, and, uh, and yeah, heck, if you ever want to talk predators on your show, let me know. I know who I to mind, call. I don't mind going on to, to other shows and getting into some nuts and bolts of coyote hunting and tactics and stories and all kinds of stuff like that. What's the so, most coyotes you've ever killed in a day? Uh, 19 coyotes and a bobcat. In day, so you are knocking on the door. I'm close. I've killed 18 a handful of times. So it's the 20, like I talked about. That's the elusive number, you know? Yeah. So. Okay. Right on. Well, yeah, we'll get together. I'll have you on my show. Heck yeah, man. Well, I want to yeah. thank everybody for listening to another episode here on Eastman's Predator Pros. Uh, like I always mention, we can't do this without the sponsors. So I want to give them a big shout out. Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Onyx Hunt, Swagger Bipods, Six Hour Optics, Cryptech, and Hornady. And of course, big thanks goes out to Eastman's for putting this all together for you guys. Head over to their website to see everything that they have going down. And then if you want to get a hold of me personally, the best way to do that is to go to my website, which is coyotecraze.com, or you can find me on Instagram just at Jeff Nimnick. Uh, that's where you can find everything that I'm doing right now, especially in the coyote world. So uh, once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time right here on the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast. <laughs>